Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul Jenkins, the shrink who expands your life. We're promoting pathological positivity, as always, here at Live on Purpose Radio. I have a guest with me in studio who has a story to share, and that's not uncommon on this show. I'd like you all to welcome Mark Woodmancy. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Good. I appreciate you being here with me today. Well, thank you for having me on. We we were just listening to the introduction, and I I uh, indicated to you as it was going, that's Brennan. Now, you know who Brennan is. Absolutely. And he is my son, and he's the one who introduced us. That's right. He gave us a little connection because he heard something about you while he was going to school uh, at a local university here where you had an affiliation with him. Correct. And then... You reached out to me, and I got to hear your story, and I said, Mark, come and join me on my show, because this is something that I would love to have our listeners hear as well. You have been through some interesting experiences in your life, Drew. Uh, You could say that, yes. In fact, I just did. (laughs) So where does this start? You Just before the show... You were telling me this started at a very early age for you. Yeah, uh, on my birthday. And what what was the story there? Well, I wasn't uh, expected to survive the night. I was born with a uh, thing called a highland membrane. And I really couldn't mm. tell you what it is to this day. I've never bothered to look into it. The only uh, thing I know is that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. had the same thing. Okay. And uh, the doctor came in and told my mom and dad that uh, basically he said, I'm sorry to meet you under these circumstances, but your son is uh, expected to survive the night. Mm. And uh, almost 51 years later, here I am. My mom uh, picked up the telephone when she got that news and called the local church that we belonged to in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was on a Sunday evening. I was born on Mother's Day of 1962. And the uh, pastor of that church was not uh, typically in his office at that hour of the night. They they were mm-hmm. holding a Sunday service, but he happened to be in his office, and uh, the phone rang, mm. and uh, he told her that he, he wasn't going to answer it, but he did. And it was my mom explaining what was going on with me. He went in and uh, stopped the Sunday evening service and told them, what was going on with one of the members of their church. Mm-hmm. Everybody in attendance had uh, immediately left the uh, chapel and came to the hospital. Oh, wow. And uh, started a, uh, a prayer vigil, if you would, mm-hmm. and uh, tried comforting my parents. And uh, the doctor came in the next morning and said, I don't really know how to explain this, but he seems like he's doing a little bit better. And, and you uh, weren't expected to even be around that next morning. Correct. I was expected to die within hours of my birth. Wow. 
And so uh, that next morning, the, the doctor told her that he seemed like I was showing a little bit of improvement, but mm-hmm. still he didn't expect me to survive. Mm-hmm. And this prayer vigil just continued on at the hospital. And uh, about a day or so later, the doctor came back in and he says, you know, I don't really know what to tell you other than I think I'm seeing a miracle. He's, oh. he's getting better. And, uh, and uh, you know, there I was went home and uh, I was a sickly kid for the first uh, 18 months. I had a Mm. hearing impairment that uh, my mom told me about that they corrected with some adenoid surgery. I couldn't hear anything. Mm. And then uh, got my hearing and uh, started moving on and I guess behaving like a typical toddler and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just started moving forward fighting from there. Wow. So you were born as a fighter. Well, I think so. Yep. It's almost like you had to be just to survive that first night. Yep. And with whatever faith and miracles supported that, here you are, uh, still plugging along. And this isn't the last adventure you had, though. No, I, uh, throughout my life, I've kind of had some fun fun little trials that I've, I've gotten mm-hmm. myself into trouble with. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, when I was a, I, I grew up in a home and, uh, with an alcoholic father. Okay. And so that always led to a lot of, uh, interesting stories. And as an adult, when you look back on it, um, mm-hmm. the first time I'd ever seen my dad, uh, drink and, and, or was intoxicated, I belonged to a scout troop. Uh, mm-hmm. with this church in Southern California, and we went on a camp out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that evening, all the scout leaders were sitting around the fire, and they were all drinking beer. Mm. And uh, I told my dad, I said, well, what are you doing drinking beer? And, you know, you're acting, you know, he was acting drunk. That's the, the first, first time, time I realized he was acting that. something he wasn't. Sure. And he said, oh, your, uh, your scout troop is having an aluminum can drive, and so we're helping you guys collect oh. aluminum cans oh, nice. so you can earn some money. Yeah. I hated scouts from that day forward. Not to mention collecting aluminum cans. Exactly. Mm. And, uh, you know, every time, uh, a lot of times when I'd see them intoxicated from there forward, I would always reflect back on them. If I would have never gone on that scout trip, he would have never started drinking. So oh, wow. throughout most of my adolescence, high school years, and into my young adult life, I grew up believing I was the root cause to his alcoholism. Uh, that's and, tough uh, on a kid. Yeah, and, and it wasn't until, you know, I, I was probably in my mid-20s that I realized that that was ridiculous, mm-hmm. foolish thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but by then it had settled into your mind a bit, hadn't it? It had, uh-huh. You know, I'd, I'd always taken accountability for his drinking problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a recovering alcoholic now. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen him touch a drink, and I couldn't tell you how many years. It's been years and years and years. That's good to hear. But, you know, I still carry a lot of that baggage with me um, through my adult years of what I witnessed as a kid and, and just kind of what I dealt with, which yeah. what I thought was normal until I became a parent and mm-hmm. myself and realized that that really wasn't normal. 
You know, it's interesting to me, Mark, in, in my line of work, practicing as a psychologist now for a couple of decades, and how powerful those early experiences are, you know, and the things that we start to think about ourselves, whether they're true or not. And obviously it was not your fault that your father was an alcoholic. But as a young boy, that worked its way into your mind somehow to where it just it just drove a lot of things in your life and in the way you felt about yourself. And it had some consequences, didn't it? It did. Yep, I uh, <clears throat> I became uh, kind of a a guy that liked to have a good time mm. uh, when I got out of high school, and uh, mm-hmm. I ran around working what I thought were great jobs, mm-hmm. which actually were terrible jobs. I uh, paid more attention to having fun than to go to school, mm. and uh, so I started... Uh, kind of progressing down the same street that I, th- I thought my father was had headed down. And uh, mm. it scared me a little bit, but I always th- kind of felt like I had things in control. Um, then I got married, and, uh, you know, I decided that what's most important is to have a family. And mm. uh, I was not going to bring my kids up in the same environment that I was brought up in. That's when you really started to take a look at it and realize... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some other ways. And, and I, and I mm-hmm. started questioning, you know, my mom, how could you put up with this as a mother mm-hmm. and allow your husband or father or your children to do some of the things that he had done and, mm-hmm. and to bring that kind of environment? And I think it was just, she was just kind of a product of the times then. Um, mm-hmm. We just kind of tolerated that in the 60s and, and 70s. So... Uh, you know, I got married and started having kids and, and decided that, you know, alcohol was not going to be part of my life mm-hmm. or my wife's life. And we were going to raise our kids uh, the way we, we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I had my, my first daughter. She, uh, she was born in 1986. Mm-hmm. And uh, things really, really started to to click as I became a father. And I started really realizing uh, up to that point, you know, I was brought up in a church until I was nine years old when we moved from Southern California to Utah. Mm-hmm. And then from, you know, age nine till I made another choice, there, there was no religious uh, background in our home other than, you know, whatever you fended for yourself or watched on TV at the yeah, time. Sure. So I was, uh, you know, a, a young father now, and uh, with a with a two year old daughter, and I w- it was a cold spring morning, and it rained, and then it turned really cold, and mm. I was uh, filling up my car for gas uh, with some gas, and uh, a van was coming down the road and hit uh, hit the wet roads, which were ice now, and crashed into a side of a train, and it killed the driver. While I was there at this gas station. You saw this happen. I didn't see the actual impact of the accident itself. Oh, okay. But I saw, I was one of the first ones there. On the scene. On the scene. There was a couple other cars that were oh, there wow. and I was at the gas station. Okay. So that really uh, shook me up yeah. quite a bit. And so uh, my morbid curiosity took over. I really wanted to know about who this person was that mm-hmm. died. 
and I know he's a Polynesian man, had several kids, and mm-hmm. he was in his 30s somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it really, uh, it really rattled my cage, thinking to myself that, uh, boy, life is really fragile. Mm-hmm. You know, life is really fragile. Yeah, one of those realization moments. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I started to mature and, and uh, really ponder a lot of things and what was important to me. And uh, next thing I know, I, I had a knock on the door, and it was LDS missionaries. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was talking to them, and, you know, I, I really wasn't sure that was the path I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But it just happened at one of these LDS missionaries. I was watching a hockey game because I'm a huge hockey fan. Mm-hmm. And he says, are you watching hockey? I said, yeah, I am. And he invited himself in. I didn't even invite him in. He came right up and <laughs> well, sat on my couch. Huh? Watched this baseball or hockey game. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I kind of befriended him a little bit, invited mm-hmm. him over and uh, to another game. And he came over and... And uh, we kind of hit a friendship off. Well, then they got mm-hmm. down to what, what they were actually supposed to do and, uh, you know, started sharing their message with me, and, and things mm-hmm. really felt good. And so, uh, you know, I, I felt like the, what they had to tell me was true, and it was mm-hmm. kind of what I was looking for. And so uh, I made a commitment and, uh, to myself and to my family that this is something that I wanted to do. And so I joined the LDS Church. Mm-hmm. And we still moved along, had two more kids. And after 13 years of marriage, I wound up divorced. And oh. it, was, it was probably the worst experience I've ever been through. I would not uh, recommend it for anybody. It's not what you had planned. Not at all. You know, I thought, you know, I've, I've made these changes. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why, why is my family falling apart? Right. So... Uh, Went through this divorce, and, and it became very bitter. It became very ugly. As they often do. And they do. And, you know, it's, it's probably one of the most things that I regret in my life now is how awful it turned out. Mm. It's probably one of the best blessings that ever happened to me. But going through the pain, you know, and yeah. how I handled it uh, was very, was very, I regret that now. But I... Uh, We've got uh, we've got just a, a minute and a half or so before we take our break, and I I know a little bit more of this story because I've heard you tell it. As you go through these hard times in life, sometimes you react in ways that are healthy. Sometimes you react in ways that are not so healthy. And I think I hear you go leading into this, but before we get to the break, part of what happened to you through all of this is that you took a very unhealthy turn in your life. Correct. Is that true? That's very true. Can you give us the brief summary of that, and then we'll follow up on it again after okay. we come back? Well, I decided that I was going to uh, rebel against uh, everything I knew that was right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that no longer would I attend church, and I was going to go back to the bars, and I was going to start to have a good time because I was single. Oh, wow. And I remember uh, you know, that the good times didn't last too long because the good times really weren't good times. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I uh, just kind of came to a realization as I was behaving the way I was. My, I was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I was extremely obese. I'd put on a lot of weight through this whole emotional thing. And I'd actually started packing weight on from the time I was in grade school, probably sixth, seventh grade, 
just gradually over the years and years and years. And then when I when I wound up divorced is when things really turned bad for me. Uh, was not motivated. I, I didn't do anything, and I uh, ballooned up, if you will, mm. to well over four hundred pounds. Over four hundred pounds. Four hundred pounds. Sixty-two inch waist pants and a six X shirt. So not only did you turn away from your faith, your standards as far as alcohol, all of that stuff, your health was out of control. You were over four hundred pounds. I hope we can save this story, Mark. Okay. We'll be back. Morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hidden messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. The number one barrier to success and happiness is fear. Anxiety paralyzes and keeps you from taking the steps that lead to success, achievement, happiness, or better relationships. All forms of anxiety have two primary components, a brain component and a mind component. Your brain is an organ in your body. Your mind does the thinking. The answer to your anxiety is understanding what the brain is doing and steering your mind in a different direction. Understanding and applying a few basic principles in both of these areas makes an immediate and lasting difference in my clients breaking free from anxiety and moving forward with power in their lives. Before I started learning the correct principles to overcome anxiety with Dr. Paul, I wasn't progressing in many areas of my life and it inhibited my thinking. But after I started applying these principles in my life, um, I felt more free. I could progress in those different areas, and I just felt all around better. The best thing about the help that we got from Dr. Paul was that it was not just a band-aid to fix my son's anxiety problems, but he empowered my son to be able to help himself whenever the problems arise again. Now is the time to overcome anxiety, worry, and fear. Your tools to do this are now available in a four-part video course that you can do in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Get immediate access to this powerful program at MyAnxietyAnswer.com. The first episode is free. Visit MyAnxietyAnswer.com today. To be what we are and to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end of life. Robert Louis Stevenson Okay, so Mark, we've painted a pretty bleak picture. Your life fell apart, didn't it? It did. I found myself laying on my couch one day, 400 plus pounds, 5'11", 
financially bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. And, uh, wow, you know, something just clicked. I had a friend come over and talk to me one time, and, and he told me, you know, I was telling him I was lonely and just mm-hmm. kind of how miserable I was, and he mm-hmm. said, you're never going to find the right person until you become the right person. And that really resonated with me. And uh, just one day, mm-hmm. I, I was there on the couch. I, w- I was watching a ball game, and I thought to myself, what am I going to do? And the thought mm-hmm. came to me, throw a fit. Throw and it's not the fit, fit that I'm going to break throw up my furniture fit. or get angry like I'm accustomed to. I decided uh-huh. I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to become physically fit. Become fit. Financially fit. Uh-huh. Emotionally fit. And spiritually fit. And this light clicked wow. on bright as could be. Those, three, those, those elements just popped into my head. And I thought, well, how am I going to do it? So I, I first started off with becoming spiritually fit, and I, I uh, got a hold of my ecclesiastical leader, introduced uh-huh. myself, and he said, I know who you are, and I've been waiting for you to come visit with me. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't even know who he was. I just mm-hmm. randomly went down the road to where there was a church and thought, well, maybe this is the church. It's close to my house, and there he was. Only one in the building that day. Just happened to be there. Just happened to be there and said he knew who I was and has been waiting to come and talk to me. Interesting. So I worked some issues out with him. Felt like I got back on track with that. Mm-hmm. Um, started uh, going and talking to somebody to kind of try to get myself emotionally fit and rebooted. Mm-hmm. And uh, things started working out there. The financial fitness part of it, I'm always still working on that. That's that's still the one part of the goal that I don't still feel like I've, I've got. So, you know, I don't want to finish yeah. that yet. It's that way I still have a goal to shoot for. And then the uh, the, the physical fit. I thought, oh, how, what am I going to do? And can I, uh, can I just interject something here? You bet. Because I, here you sit in my office, and... I don't think you're anywhere close to 400 pounds. No. <laughs> you're probably less than half the man you used to be. Less than half. Which is an amazing accomplishment. And as you get to this part of the story, and, and I again, I'm coming from the knowledge, having talked to you of some things that went on. I've been, I've been reading the autobiography of Larry H. Miller. And a lot of people know who he is here in Utah because he was such a prominent member of this community uh, had like 47 auto dealerships, and he owned the Utah Jazz, and he built the Energy Solutions Arena. He made a mark on this community. And people know him nationally maybe as an owner of the Jazz or whatever. But what a successful businessman. And he mentions in his book some things about when uh, uh, when Frank Layden was the coach of the Utah Jazz. And Frank had an interesting story, but he works into this somehow, doesn't he? He does. Uh, when I got to the how do I get physically fit, it was at a time where Frank had lost a lot of weight. Mm. And so I just sat down one day and wrote him a letter. He wasn't even with the Utah Jazz anymore. I mailed it to the Utah Jazz and Kara Frank Layton. Mm-hmm. Never thinking he would ever see it, but I felt good doing it to tell me, looked really good. What have you done? Ah. Uh. Well, my dad called me about four or five days later and says, do you know why Frank Layden would have just called our house looking for you? <laughs> oh, you're kidding. And I said, yeah, I have an idea. And I thought my dad was joking, but I thought, no, there could be no way because nobody knew this but me. Right. 
He gave me Frank's home phone number. I called him up on the telephone. We spoke on the phone for about an hour. He said, why don't you come to my house the Uh. following Saturday? So I went up to Salt Lake City, and I spent probably five hours with Frank Layden in his house talking, uh, not very little basketball, but basically talking about me and talking oh, yeah, about him and talking as, you, huh? as being a human mm-hmm. and that nobody will care unless you care, basically is what he told me. And he explained what he had done and he got into my head and he started mentoring me. And he, I felt like he took over as if he was a coach. That's what his profession is. Right. And, and can I comment about that too? Because as you're talking about throwing this fit... What an amazing realization you had there to become spiritually fit, emotionally fit, physically fit, financially fit, and you're still working on some of this stuff. You went to coaches. You approached your ecclesiastical leader. He's your coach. Mm -hmm. You approached a counselor. He's your coach. You went to Frank Layden. He became your coach. There's a pattern here. You think? I see, yes. Where, where you reach out, and, and we get into this Lone Ranger attitude sometimes, and we think, well, I'll just have to do it myself, or somehow there's some, some righteousness in, in doing it yourself. Uh, I don't know how you even do that. It's the coaches in your life that have, have turned on some lights for you, and it was you who reached out to them. So I just wanted to comment about that little process because I think that's a big part of your success so far. Well, well, it is, and, and, you know, I had to be ready for it. I had to know that this is what I wanted to do, and I had to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. Sick and tired of, of you know, crying my eyes out, uh, sick and tired of not being an example to my kids. Mm-hmm. It all just kind of boiled at the same time. Mm-hmm. So Frank started working with me and, and got the nutrition end of things down. I'd come home from work and go right to the couch or the bed. I was so exhausted at this size. Mm-hmm. Walking to the mailbox, which was two, 300 yards away, I didn't want to do that. I didn't check the mail very often just because it was, you know, so, too much work. Too much work. Well, I got the nutrition going, and, and I started losing weight. And I think after I'd lost about 30 pounds, I thought, wow, this feels pretty good. This could work. I went down and got my first gym membership mm-hmm. and uh, bought a gym membership and, and just started working on the treadmill, walking. And, and uh, you know, the next thing I know, I was walking and doing a little bit of running and, and uh, got to where I could run about a half a mile. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I kind of grew up athletic. Mm-hmm. As, it's not like this was new to me. This is just something that quit. And, uh, yeah, you know. I, I like some of those other things in your that. life, yeah. And so I, I was at a half a mile, and, and then I could get to a mile, and, and I just kept progressing, and, and, uh, and here comes, uh, you know, the mile, and mile goes to two miles, and I just started building on this. Well, now I've got myself in shape, or, or well on my way into shape, uh, spiritually in shape, emotionally in shape, still working on the financial shape. Sure. I go back to what my friend says. You'll never become the right person until you meet the right person. There's my wife. I run into my wife my, uh, that uh, became my wife, a lady uh-huh. that, uh, that uh, I ran into. And uh, 
we hit it off. I'd known her previously. She, she knew the old Mark, but didn't remember mm. the old Mark. It had been about a year and a half since I'd seen her, and now I've taken off about 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. So she goes, have you lost a little bit of weight? I said, <laughs> a yeah. Little, you think? I said, 15 pounds. I didn't want to tell her 100. I thought if she didn't remember... I'm not going to remind her. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I have 15 pounds. Yeah, so we little. started dating and going out, and people always say, boy, you really look good. What have you done? You lost some weight? Yeah, 15 pounds. Oh, you lost more than that. So yeah, she, had a cor- zero. she cornered me and said, you know, for someone that's lost 15 pounds, you sure get a lot of praise. So I had to come clean Yeah, and told her. But, uh, you know, so now I'm, I've got this great gal that I'm dating, and we're falling in love, and mm-hmm. uh, we, get, we get married. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of put a hold on my physical fitness end of things for a while. You know, being a new married guy, mm. better things to do than go out and try to run. Mm. But then weight picked back up, and, and then I got back and, re- and rebooted and uh, got back onto my physical fitness. And, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I ran my first uh, 5K. It just had wow. chills when I crossed the finish line. I thought, wow, that's really good. Wow, because then, this didn't even look possible to you. It didn't look possible. Then I ran a 10K. Yeah. And then I ran a half marathon. Wow. And then I ran just 18 miles one day on my own. But I kept running and running and running, setting all these goals. Wow. And uh, a lot of times when, it, when I would run, you know, I would think, oh, I can't wait to get finished. But then I realized mm. that, uh, you know, the finish line is nothing more than the starting line to your next endeavor. You're really never finished yeah. doing anything because you move on to something different no matter what it is. And depending on your perspective, if, if you're in a victim mode, you might look at that and say, oh, what's the use? Yeah. If you're in an agent mode, if you're really living on purpose, you see that as an exciting adventure. And it's all about where to from here. What's Absolutely. next? You got trapped in that victim mode for a while, didn't you? I did. I was, I was extremely trapped in it. And, uh, you know, I always thought to myself, I don't like what's underneath my clothes, mm-hmm. but I loved what was underneath my skin. Oh. And hmm. uh, I, I, I liked who I was, even though I was not who I knew I could be. Mm-hmm. And you were not showing up as the person that you really were. I was not. And, uh, you know, I realized that I've got to be stable for my kids. I've got to give, show my kids mm. where some stability is, somebody that they can respect, somebody that mm-hmm. they can look up to, and somebody that's going to be here for them, you know. So, Mark, this amazing transformation that has come into your life is based on principles. We've, we've identified some of what those are as we've had this conversation here today. I'm thinking, in the few minutes that we have left, there are some listeners out there. In fact, Andrew mentioned this uh, during the break. He says, I know people who have a similar story. We ought to put you on the mic and let's talk about that, maybe. <laughs> is, you're not the only one that's out there. So there are people, possibly people, who are listening right now. To you, uh-huh. what do you want them to know? What, what can they accomplish? What if they feel stuck the way you did? Where do, where do they start? You got you to gotta know what's most important. You got to figure out what is most important in your life. Rather, it's your kids, parents, whatever it is. You have to have a reason, something to shoot for, mm-hmm. uh, a goal. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and just not lo- lose focus of it. You know, I'm at uh, 215 pounds right now. Started wow. out at 428 with the goal to be at 195 pounds and run my very first marathon this summer is uh, wow. what, what, my, what my goal is right now. And you just need to have something, a goal, set a goal, and, and no, don't be afraid to fail because mm-hmm. failures make you successful. This hasn't been an yeah. easy journey. This has been a lot of ups and downs and uh, wavy I'm patches sure. along the way. One thing I love about your story, Mark, is that you're an ordinary guy. Do you see yourself that way at all? I do. You know, I I didn't think I was uh, any different than anybody else, and I'm not. I just, I think I was just blessed at the time with the strength, the mental strength, the emotional strength to get through what I needed to get through. And that kind of stuff is available to anyone. Is this true? It is. It's absolutely true. And, it, and it's, it's not rocket science. So one of the things I saw you do is that you reached out to coaches. You made it a point to consult with people who seem to know what they're doing about this. I think it was Einstein that said you can't solve a problem using the same level of thinking that got you into that problem in the first place. Right. Something like that. I know I'm slaughtering the quotation, but that's the importance of reaching out and not letting our pride get us stuck in this place where we think we have to do everything on our own. Because the principles are there, they're available to you, they're available to anyone who's listening to this conversation today to transform their life in some meaningful ways. And that's what I find so inspiring about your story. And you're not done yet. No. You're still engaged in this adventure, aren't you? That's right, and I will be until the day I die. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's a never-ending battle. Well, that or an adventure, I, I, you know, battle. Yeah, because you have to fight your way through sometimes. But I think it's also a marvelous adventure. Would it's, you agree with that? It's as well? been a fun ride. I wouldn't mm-hmm. regret it or do anything differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, of everything you've learned, and that's right. And I know there's so many people out there in my shoes that I would love to be able to reach and talk to. And, and along those and lines. You are just now beginning to share this story with others so that it can make a difference in their life. That's right. I've, I've always had this story, but I've never felt like I could do anything with it. And then uh, yeah, talking to some people, they say, you re- I'm really interested in what you had to say. Please share that. So is it okay with you, Mark, if we point our, leader, or our listeners back toward you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would love to talk to them. We will put up an email address for Mark on our website, liveonpurposeradio.com, on this episode. So you can go there and, and uh, use that email a- address to contact Mark. Is that okay? That would be perfect. We can share that with you. So, and think of other people in your world who could benefit from or who might who might really value knowing what Mark knows. Mark, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing that story. What a, what a courageous example of how to live on purpose. I think that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. I'm a happy man. <laughs> you deserve to be. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Go out there and live on purpose. <laughs>